0: All right, welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are glad that you are here. We're glad that you have decided to join in with us today. On this Thursday, this blessed Thursday, I pray that uh, this day finds you blessed and highly favored. The grace of God at work in your life. I pray that you're enjoying cool fall weather. This is my favorite time of year. Time for hot coffee. A time for Leaves to crunch underfoot <laughs> sweater weather and um, heated car seats and hot coffee. Oh man, it's the good stuff! So, yeah, hope you are blessed. Glad you're with us. Uh, we've had a lot of good things happening here at the Biblos Network and at First Pentecostal Church here in Durham and Tabernaculo de Vida. Um, People getting the Holy Ghost, people getting geared up for holiday season, I guess, working our way through all the political turmoil that is happening in the nation right now, and beyond all of that, being saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, loving God. This is the best life. This is absolutely the best life. We just came out of services this last week with the Wade Bass. I'm going to try to get him in here for a Biblo session, see if I can't talk him into joining us. Uh, he'll be back with us again this week, so we're looking forward to that. You can check it out on Facebook and YouTube. Good news. We have good news. We are now on Apple Podcast and Spotify and Google. What else are we on? Is that it? Yeah, we're on all kinds of stuff. So Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're trying to get the word out there on social media. You obviously, most of you are on YouTube, but now you can download it in the podcast. We have, I think something like 40, 50 episodes on there right now, and we're adding we're backlogging and adding more and more. So we're doing that. We're also working on getting some uh, Biblos merchandise. Uh, people are asking a lot about that, so we're gonna, we're gonna get some um, coffee mugs and some sweaters and hats and something that people can represent Biblos. and um, it uh, can be a blessing to you. Um, So I have some ideas about that. Anyway, it's an exciting time. I want to take a little time today and talk about a few things. I took the time to write some things down. A quick word about our last session. I talked about Jesus and Caesar, and and we dealt a bit with modalism. So to all of my uh, subscribers out there that are listening to this, thank you for taking the time to comment. We had a lot of comments a lot of comments. People are very passionate about oneness. So let me make a little clarifying remark about modalism. I I said initially that we are not modalists. I need to qualify that there is a kind of modalism that does look very similar to oneness. And so I would have to say qualify in a qualified manner that ancient modalism could very well be oneness compatible with oneness believers. Um, there's two versions of modalism, and, and it's a little sketchy what we can learn from it because there's not really a written record of what they believe. Mostly, we, we have at access to what their critics say of them. But from what we can gather in the scattered little remnants that we do have, you have to piece it together. And you have to create kind of a, a panoply of of things, kind of a patchwork of things. But what we can put together, it does appear compatible, at least in its ancient form. There is a part of modalism that is not compatible, um, like uh, modalistic monarchianism and patropassionism. Literally, the father suffered. So for all of you that that feel very strongly about that, there is a kind of modalism that we do look very similar to. So we cautiously and... Uh, We kind of qualify that we don't have all the writing, so we're just careful about it. But um, there is a kind of modalism that is compatible with oneness. So I can say, yes, there is a modalism that we identify with. But there's also a modalism that we don't. And we don't believe that it was sequentially um, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We don't believe the Father— came and suffered, we have to say that the Son died on the cross. Now the Father is in the Son. The fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus bodily. So in that sense, he is the Father, but you can't say the Father, because the Father is a spirit. And that those those terms, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they do show the differentiation of those administrations. And so, you know, the Father's a spirit, the Father doesn't have blood, um, he can't have stripes that can heal us. He can't have blood that can redeem us. Um, in terms of his spirit, that is the Father, but we can say that he purchased the Church of Christ with his own blood, the blood of God, because Jesus Christ, the Father, became flesh. Isaiah 9, 6, he is the everlasting Father. He is the child that is born, the son that is given, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. So obviously the Father is in Jesus, but it's not theologically correct to say that the Father died on the cross. Uh, it is it is correct to say the son of God, um, which is a reference to the incarnation and the humanity of Jesus Christ. So I know for some people that seems to be splitting hairs, but the terminology matters because if you don't get that right, then it opens the door to heresy. It opens the door to distortions of the true revelation of the oneness of God. Um, so that's for all my modalist friends and people who champion that. I love you. I appreciate you. And I thank you for taking the time to comment on it. I want to just clarify that. Um, but today I, I want to share something with you. A lot of our sessions, a couple of our sessions, I should say, are have stirred up some things. And we're going to be doing some, some more sessions that clarify doctrine a little more. So this one today, I'm going to be talking about a book of Acts paradigm, a book of Acts paradigm. Now, I don't know if that's the most catchy sounding um, title, I don't know, maybe we'll title it something more catchy, but I don't want to be too boring with it. But I I, I want you to understand the concept because it makes a huge difference how you view the Bible. There are people that are PhDs that do not see the Bible clearly. There are, I call them pointy headed intellectuals. They They go to seminary, they, I don't disparage their scholarship. Many of them are Greek scholars. They're Hebrew scholars. A lot of them have just enough Greek to be dangerous, and we've been the victim of that. People have um, jumped into Greek and Hebrew because the, they try to distort what the Bible actually says, and they have just enough to be dangerous. Um, I can remember years ago uh, a young Hebrew scholar uh, saying that the Echad in Deuteronomy 6.4 the, the, the word one, the Hebrew word uh, for one is echad, and he called it a plural unity. And, and the way he described it, you know, the word echad throughout the Old Testament can be used in the sense of one, and, and so he was trying to debate me on that. And I don't have a Hebrew background like that. I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, I, I have a smattering of Greek and Hebrew but I don't claim to be an authority. I certainly have not been classically trained. I hope to do that in the future. Um, but my my cousin, Jonathan Urshan, was born and raised in Jerusalem. He lived in, uh, I believe he lived in Baghdad for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I know he was raised in Jerusalem, and he left when he was a young man, um, late teens, early 20s. So he was steeped in, in Hebrew. He spoke multiple languages. And this uh, young seminary trained quote unquote Hebrew scholar was trying to say that the word in Hebrew always meant one always and and it meant plural unity rather it always meant plural unity and when cousin John began to talk to him he pulled things out in Hebrew that that uh, flustered that young man. He, he, he wasn't near what he, what he claimed to be and he, he showed the hypocrisy of what he was saying. And one of the things he said was no true Hebrew scholar would ever claim that there's plural unity in the Shema. And when it comes to the oneness of God, it would be considered blasphemy. And, and obviously it can be used in that sense with other things, but not in reference to God, not in the reference of, of a trinity of persons that is a very alien, foreign concept to, to, those, to those ancient Greek speakers, or Hebrew speakers rather. So I say that to point out to you that there is an intellectual elitism where people will try to use education to, to beat you with a cudgel, beat you with a club, browbeat you, make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and we're going to take some time to talk about that today because this is exactly what happened with Saul of Tarsus. He was an extremely educated man. He could quote the scriptures. He voluminously, he, was, he, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was extremely educated and he was a murderer. He was a murderer. Um, and all throughout history, there are people who are very educated that are killers. John Calvin's one of them. The, the progenitor of Calvinism, the great Calvinist forerunner was a murderer. He killed Michael Servetus and others. I'm going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into that because there's some Calvinists that are very stirred up. And for those Calvinists that um, are Calvinist friends that are out there, we're going to do a point by point uh, talk with you. So never fear. Um, We will not leave things unaddressed. We love you. We appreciate you. We're praying for you. And um, we don't hold it against you. (laughs) Michael Servetus was killed by John Calvin, who was very educated. The problem was Servetus was educated as well and And my point in all of this is saying that, as you study the scripture it is it is critical. It is crucial that you have a book of Acts paradigm when you look at the New Testament. I'm going to explain what I mean by that a A paradigm <clears throat> a paradigm is the way you look at a thing. It's your worldview. um i I seem to remember a an example that was given to me one time years back. It says uh, somebody told me, they said, tell me what you think of when you, when you hear this, a man leaves home and he walks a little ways and turns left. He walks, jogs a little ways further, turns left again. He then goes a little further and he turns left a third time and, and it brings him back home. When he gets there, he meets two masked men. Waiting for him there, and he is headed towards them at a rapid pace. he charges towards them. What is happening? And I said, well, uh, it sounds like he left his house and and when he when he, he maybe forgot his keys, he came back and he found some intruders and they were they were um, robbing him or robbing his home and there was a threat of physical violence. he charged towards them to to protect his property. I think that's what's happening based on what you said. He said, yeah, that's what most people assume. Most people think that's what it is. He said, I'm actually describing a baseball game. (laughs) It's um, first, second, third base. And when you come back home, you meet two masked men. Um, Paradigm matters. Context matters. Saul was able to know that entire Old Testament and completely miss Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. All the messianic prophecies, all of the prophecies. The prophetic dynamics, they, they, he missed out on all of it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ones who are entrusted with the vineyard, the keepers of the vineyard. they. Uh, the Bible says he would miserably destroy them because they tried to take the vineyard under themselves and kill the son and seize on the inheritance. And these are the guys that were in control of it. Catholics did this. They held the scripture. Um, they guarded it jealously. If you were caught with a Bible, they killed you. And then the reformers did the same thing. Luther, Luther, Martin Luther killed people. John Calvin killed people. They were murderers. Now, they thought they were doing it for the kingdom of God. They felt like they kind of had an Old Testament right to kill all the heretics. Interesting, Jesus did not do that. The apostles did not do that. That's why we take our doctrine and our teachings from that scriptural foundation. So we don't build on the popes. We don't build on... Calvin. We don't build on Luther or any of the other um, Reformationist scholars. We build on the original apostles, period. It is the only foundation that is worthy to be built upon. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is because when you look at the New Testament, there's a couple ways you can look at it. Um, And depending on how you look at it, you know, you can look at it one way and and think that you got to have church on Saturday. You can think that you, um, you can't eat pork. You can look at it and think um, that you need to eat crackers and drink wine and have a, a, a communion experience that becomes transubstantiation and that is going to be your literal communion with Jesus Christ. Well, man, if you believe that, uh, that's obviously a false doctrine. And if you believe that, it actually becomes... If you take it to its furthest extent, it becomes cannibalism because it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. And that's not what Jesus taught. He said, my words, they are spirit, they are life. Um, one of the enduring things is Reformationist, Reformationist theology that teaches that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And we believe that. We do. We believe that. We believe that strongly. Um, where oneness believers split off from that, is people that believe that grace alone, faith alone, mean they, they, they feel that you only need to believe on the Lord. And they have all these steps. Different camps have different steps and different ways that they describe this. but um, But we would define the word faith differently. So they'll go to Romans 4, and they will talk about being justified by faith, and they will... They will point out that Abraham was justified by faith and and that um well, let's go there let's go to Romans chapter four, and I'll give you an example of of how they describe it, and you'll run into this you'll run into this when you are contending for faith when you're living for God when you when, if you read your bible you'll you'll read you'll have somebody quote Romans chapter four, which ties to Genesis fifteen where God is talking to Abraham. Paul here to the church at Rome, which he is dealing with Jewish dynamics um, with the Roman church. He is speaking of the transition from the Jews to the Gentiles. He speaks of the Jew first and then to the Greek. Um, there were Jews there. There were also Gentiles there. They were Roman. And he's talking about how the New Testament is obviously superior to the Old Testament and how, how faith works. So Romans four one, what shall we say then? that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now that's a big deal. That verse right there, Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. So keep that in mind. The Bible does say that. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Um, and so David then talks about it saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So it, to, to look at this, make a synopsis of this, basically what some people want to say is that you just believe in the Lord and that's all. It is a um, a spiritual thing that you do, a mental thing that you do. You make a choice within yourself and the grace of God calls you, the faith of God is the only thing that can save you, and then you you believe this in your heart. Um, as Many will say you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, and, and you'll be saved, and they'll go to Romans 10, what they call the Roman road. And so there's a lot of people that that look at the Bible this way, and if you just read Romans 4, that is what it looks like. The problem is there is a a host of other scriptures that, that give you what I will call a book of Acts paradigm, a way of looking at it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> it is critical to look at, at it from a book of Acts paradigm. So very quickly, it's another session for another day, but faith is not just believing inwardly. Faith is action with our faith. James chapter two tells us this. Let's go to James chapter 2. I'll read the verses. I want to make sure everybody gets these verses. Um, James chapter 2 and verse 14. What doth it profit? My brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Some people translate, can that faith save him? Um, Now, when they try to dismiss this, they will try to say that it's just a, a, this is a different kind of faith. James is dealing with something different, and we're pitting James against uh, Paul, James 2, is fighting against Romans 4. That is not true. That's like saying that when Peter got up at Acts chapter 2 and told them to be baptized in Jesus' name, that he was, he was fighting against Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The scriptures don't contradict each other. They, they flow seamlessly and, and harmoniously. What James is talking about here is, is a salvific faith. It's not just a lifestyle of faith. It's not just you know, a, a verbal faith versus an active faith, it is, it is dealing with salvation. The reason we know this is because the two descriptions that he gives are both Abraham and Rahab. And both of those circumstances, it deals with salvation. Abraham, his faith was counted with works and he was justified by works when works wrought with faith and that saved him. Rahab was saved when she put her works with her faith, and she was saved. So it is dealing with salvation. The context here is salvation. Um, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warm and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. You show faith by your actions. So we are obedient to the faith. We, 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 we enter into obedient works, saving works, works that do justify us. The Bible says that they were justified by works. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now that makes Calvinists so mad. They feel like we're twisting and distorting that. And uh, Martin Luther actually tried to disqualify James from the Bible. When they were writing the Bible, Martin Luther was so arrogant and so proud. And, uh, and Calvin, they were so proud that they, uh, particularly Luther, he tried to exclude the book of James from the Bible because it did not say what he wanted it to say. So, of course, he doubts it. Um, and this says, Abraham, our father, was justified our, by works, Later on, verse 25, likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. So here's the deal. I know the Bible says we're not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. Um, The scripture does teach that. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Um, Baptism in Jesus' name is not magic. We don't think that we are somehow entering into, into this, and by our actions, we are saved. Because when we repent, when we are baptized, and when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, God does the saving work in all of those things. God is the one who forgives sin. God is the one who remits sin. God is the one who regenerates us. He does the work. He does all the heavy lifting. That doesn't mean that we don't join together with him by obeying his word. And so obedience is a big part of this. Abraham and God come together. Faith without works is dead, being alone. So Abraham obeys God, offers his son. And here's what the Bible actually says. Verse 22 of James 2 Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled. That means that previous to that, it was not fulfilled. It was in the process. Abraham was in a process. Faith is a process. Um, The scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God. (laughs) So it wasn't until he put his works with his faith that that scripture was fulfilled. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So don't let anybody talk you out of obeying the word of God and repenting and being baptized and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Now that's why I'm talking about the book of Acts paradigm because it is important. It is crucial to see the water spirit tandem in the Bible. born of the water and born of the spirit. This is from Acts two thirty eight and John 3 5. We're going to read these portions and just buckle your seatbelt because we're going to talk a little bit here today about this stuff. I don't want to go too fast but I I, I, I want to treat it properly. So maybe you can give this to your friends, give it to a Calvinist and, and they can be saved and they can come to a fullness of knowledge of truth. <laughs> they're going to love that by the way. Um. Okay. In the old Testament there, the Bible is full of examples, full of examples of the water spirit paradigm. Um, I I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again, it again. When Noah is on the ark, the Bible teaches that, that they were saved by water. And baptism and water do save us. The scripture teaches this very clearly. Um, we can read this in First Peter chapter 3. You have to go through the water to be saved. Noah and his family had to go through the water to be saved. Their sins were buried under the water. All wickedness and sin was buried under the water. And 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. They were saved by water. The like figure, or archetype, or metaphor, or shadow and type, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, or not taking a bath, not washing, washing um, dirt from your body. Baptism is not about cleansing you outwardly. But it's about cleansing you inwardly, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here, Noah goes into the water, and he resurrects up out of the water when it's all finished. And when he comes out of the water, he has a brand new life. That means to be born of the water. What Peter's describing here is an Old Testament paradigm of being born of water and spirit. Now, we see this in Romans chapter six, Romans chapter six, uh, verses three to seven. We can see where where we apply this to our lives. Um, Romans chapter six, verse three, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, likeness, is, it means figure or metaphor or, or example, shadow type. In the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we have the water and the spirit. You're going to be planted with Jesus in death. You're going to be raised from the dead again. That's the gospel. That's repent, be baptized in water, under the water, out of the water and you'll rise to walk in newness of life. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrection that fills us. Jesus did that. We do that. That's what Noah did. Noah went into the water. The water washed away his sins, buried the past, washed it away, remitted it. And when he came up out of the water, to use the metaphor, he is now resurrecting into a new life. When he got out of the water, everything was brand new. It was the beginning of the calendar. It was a total new world. That's what happens when you're born of the water and born of the spirit. So it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That is the gospel pattern that 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4 tells us about. Um, so this is, we see it very clearly in, in Noah. Not only that, we see it in the Exodus when uh, we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and some of our critics say to us, well, your your gospel's not found anywhere in the Bible. It's not found in the <clears throat> It's not found in the epistles. And that's because they're looking through the Bi at through the scripture and at the Bible through Calvinist glasses. They're looking at it through Jehovah's Witness glasses. They're looking at it through Catholic glasses and through the creedal councils. And and th- that's how they look at it. You've got to have a book of Acts paradigm. So if you just read these verses randomly and try to superimpose, or the, the, theolo- the theologic word would be eisegete, if you eisegete these passages, it's eisegesis, it means you, you force your interpretation onto the text, then you're going to miss what the writer's actually saying. But if you come through the book of Acts, which that is our paradigm, you should look just like Acts 2. We do make a big deal of Acts 2, and not only Acts 2, but Acts 8, 10, 19, 22 as well, <clears throat> and Acts 16, by the way, the Philippian jailer. We're happy to talk about the Philippian jailer because, again, it is the water and it is the spirit. Um, when you come through that original book of Acts experience, that's the template. You should look like that. I'm, I'm going to say something here. People that say that you don't need to speak in tongues when you receive the Holy Ghost, they are doing something different than happened on the birthday of the church. On the on the first day of the church, everyone spoke in tongues and were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter, James, John, all the apostles, Mary, the mother of Jesus, all 120 people, later the 3,000 that were added to the church, <clears throat> all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. Cloven tongue sat upon each of them, and um, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, Joel talked about it, the prophet Joel, David talked about it. We'll get into all of that, hopefully, if I have time. (laughs) And anybody that tries to um, deny that is doing something different than they did. So the question is not why do we speak in tongues? The question is why don't you? Why are you doing something different than the apostles did on the birthday of the church? That you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Wait, wait, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. And they go, they receive it. And here is this beautiful book of Acts um, historical narrative that gives you a snapshot of what it looked like. And then Romans all the way to Jude then describes it in detail and gets into the mechanics of how it worked. So this original New Testament gospel is all through the epistles and if you can't see it it's because you're using the wrong paradigm if you come through the book of acts it makes perfect sense if you're coming from a calvinist or a catholic or a um, jehovah's witness or a mormon foundation you're going to have a hard time seeing it because you're springing from a different foundation than was in the book of acts so first corinthians 10 verses 1 to 2 moreover brethren i would not that you should be ignorant How that all our fathers, every one of them, not not a few of them, not a couple of them, there weren't people rowing canoes um, in the water that found some other alternate way, but they were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, take that verse and lay it over John 3, 5. Jesus says, verily, verily. Now, when he says verily, verily, what he means is pay close attention. I am about to give you something that's going to blow your mind. I'm underlining it. I am highlighting this. I am, I am pointing you to one of the most profound things that you've ever heard in your life. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That water spirit paradigm, if you lay 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 over that, it makes complete sense. This is how they entered into the kingdom back then when Moses delivered them. This is how we enter into the kingdom today. And by the way, Jesus Christ did this. When Jesus Christ went down to the River Jordan, the Bible says <clears throat> that he came to the water and he was baptized in the water and the, the, this Holy Ghost came down on him, one place, said in a bodily shape. It might've been Mark said that. <clears throat> yeah, if my memory serves. In a bodily shape like a dove. Other place said like a dove. So there's water and spirit. There is the ultimate template right there. Now, if you are raised on Trinitarian dogma, you're going to see Father, Son, Holy Ghost, separate persons, and you're going to be stuck in that paradigm. But I'm not stuck in that. I'm in a book of Acts paradigm. And I am saying that just like they were baptized in Jesus name and filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 2, 8, um, 10, 19, and 22, just like that, that's what they did when they came out of Egypt. If you want to get out of Egypt, you are not saved until you go through that water and into that cloud. And that is how a person is born of the water and born of the spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul said. Now, Paul is preaching this to the Corinthian church. This is the gospel. He is showing them the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They died to their Egyptian life. They're buried in water, and they walk into the cloud, which is the Holy Ghost. This is basic Book of Acts paradigm. Um, And he is speaking very poetically here, very metaphorically. It talks about the spiritual meat and the spiritual drink, the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Um, But the point is they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Moses was the Old Testament deliverer that brought them into the water and into the spirit. We now have a New Testament deliverer. His name's Jesus. And we are baptized unto him in the cloud and in the sea. So Noah shows this. The Exodus shows this. And what this is, is a shadow and type. It is a powerful metaphor that shows you how we put this together in the New Testament. And it refutes the false doctrines that deny them. These verses make false doctrines and false prophets rage because their churches look nothing like this. They, they do not practice this. They have distorted and twisted scripture. They'll jump from Romans, they'll jump into Ephesians, they'll jump into Galatians, which we're going to do as well, but we're going to show you from a book of Acts paradigm. They're going to jump to all these things, and and Peter talked about Paul's words. He said those that are unlearned in the Scripture, they twist and they wrest they the Scriptures to their own destruction. <clears throat> if you do not come through the the book of Acts paradigm, you will misinterpret the scriptures. And we're gonna get to the book of Romans and I'm gonna show you a startling example of how that works. So the Exodus is a paradigm um, of water and spirit. The tabernacle is a paradigm. Now, we teach very strongly that the brazen altar is repentance, the brazen laver is water baptism and the holy of holies is the infilling of the Holy Ghost where the, the Holy Ghost would come down. And some people will say, well, that's cute. You don't have any scripture for that. And again, they really need to read their Bibles because the Bible is replete with this scripture. Let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, for those of you that are following this. um, Hebrews 9 and 10 give a startling example of how the tabernacle is exactly a metaphor for water and spirit. Then verily, this is verse 1, Hebrews 9 and 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first. That's talking about the first tabernacle. Wherein was the candlestick, the table showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Had the golden center, the ark censer, the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, had golden pot and manna. Aaron's rod that budded, tables of the covenant, the cherubims, the glory overshadowed, the mercy seat. It's talking about the the furniture of the Old Testament, the first uh, tabernacle. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year. That's the holy of holies. So there was a holy place and then there was the holy of the holies. He went once every year, not without blood which he offered for himself, the heirs of the people. Now watch this. The Holy Ghost, this signifying. Okay, see that word signifying? Another way to read that is signifying. The Holy Ghost in the Old Testament would put things in signs, symbols, shadows, types. The Holy Ghost was signifying. It's the same, it's the same root that is in signet, a, a ring where you would, you would dip it in wax and you would, you would then seal a letter or a parchment of some kind. The Holy Ghost gave us symbols and signs in the Old Testament of greater things to come. The Holy Ghost, this signifying or signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure. See, that's the same thing that Peter talks about. Baptism, it's a figure whereunto baptism does also now save us. Baptism, baptism does save us. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. And then he goes on to talk about the resurrection, water and spirit. Um, this was a figure, a shadow, a type, a metaphor for the time then present in which gifts and sacrifice could not make you perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It was only stood in meat and drink, diverse washings, <clears throat> imposed on them to the time of reformation, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. That's the tabernacle that's now, that's the one that we are entering into, not made with hands. That means the spirit, it's, it's of the spirit. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ be? who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How does he do that? Um, the Bible tells us how he does it. He goes on to talk about Moses. You can read this um, for sake of time. I can't read the whole thing. Um, it was therefore, verse 23, necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than, than these. Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Jesus Christ is now making intercession for us in the heavenly tabernacle, the holy tabernacle, which those things were figures of the true tabernacle, not made with hands, but by the Spirit of God. And he is sprinkling blood for us. He is representing us. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And this is exactly what happens when you repent and you get baptized and you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is going through that heavenly tabernacle and sprinkling blood on our behalf. Verse uh, chapter 10 goes further to describe this. For the law, verse one, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of those things, can never make you perfect. It's not possible, verse four, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin, Let's get down here to where it describes what Jesus does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here it is, verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. I will put my law into their hearts, in their minds will I write them. Their sins, their iniquities will I remember no more. Come down to, yeah, here we go. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, that's what we're doing, me and you, when we repent and we get baptized and we get filled with the Holy Ghost, we are are entering into the holiness, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. So this is a tabernacle that the first tabernacle was a figure of, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. He came in the flesh that we might enter. Having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, not a heart corrupted by false doctrine, not a heart corrupted by Reformation theology that is at war and at odds that murdered people, but a true heart that actually looks at the scripture for what it actually says. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, he is sprinkling your conscience with the blood in that heavenly tabernacle. That is what Hebrews is saying. And we see this here. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel, chapter 36, talks about sprinkling. It talks about how god puts that new heart inside of us and it gives us a snapshot ezekiel chapter 36 verse 24 for i will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land then will i sprinkle clean water upon you you shall be clean from all your filthiness from all your idols will i cleanse you a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will i put within you and i will take away the stony heart out of your flesh I will give you an heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. So how does he sprinkle us? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews that he sprinkles it with the blood of Jesus Christ and we wash our bodies with pure water. That's what Hebrews says that Jesus does. That's how it's applied. And people will misappropriate Ezekiel 36 all day long and it's a shame. And this is also what Peter says. Let's go back to first Peter. Chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, and again, verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how the water saves us. That's how you get the answer of a good conscience. He sprinkles us from an evil conscience Ezekiel 36 describes how it would happen. It would be with pure water. It would be with sprinkling. And that is the connection to baptism. When I get baptized, when you get baptized in Jesus' name, Peter said, it saves us. Eight souls were saved by water. Baptism saves your soul. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. And that's not works of men. That is a work of God where he remits your sins and you obey it just like Abraham put his works with his faith, just like Rahab put her works with his faith. God says to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter preached that on the day of Pentecost for the remission of sins. We move our chubby little legs into that baptismal tank and we get baptized in Jesus' name and he sprinkles our heart from an evil conscience with his blood And our bodies are washed with pure water as Jesus Christ enters into that holy tabernacle. That is the uh, the brazen altar, brazen labor, and the altar, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, where the Holy Ghost comes in. It's a better tabernacle with better sacrifices, with the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us, not the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews 9 and 10 powerfully demonstrates how the tabernacle plan is extremely relevant to us today. Not the first tabernacle, but that was a figure of the true. But Jesus Christ has entered into a new and living way, which is that New Testament. So for anybody that ever tells you that there's no example of this in the New Testament, they, they're not looking through a book of Acts paradigm. Guys, I'm only a quarter of the way through. Buckle your seatbelt. We got a lot, lot of time to spend here. Let's look at what the gospel says. Before we ever get to the book of Acts, this water spirit paradigm is strongly in place. <clears throat> John chapter one. It's the first time we hear about the new birth. John chapter one in, in, in the gospel. <clears throat> and verse 13 says this, it says that we would be born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There would be a new birth. So it wouldn't be by blood wouldn't be genealogies, it wouldn't be blood, it wouldn't be the will of the flesh or man, but it would be God. born of the water, born of the spirit means to be born again. And it goes on to talk about um, the word becoming flesh. It talks about, now we get to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. So we see immediately where John chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three lays the foundation for the water spirit paradigm, the book of Acts paradigm. John chapter uh, one, and let's go to verse 31. Let's go to verse 29 for context. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me, cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. There's water and spirit, same paradigm. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So when when John baptized Jesus, the dove came down upon him, bodily shaped like a dove. That is the water spirit paradigm. Jesus, the captain of our salvation, is showing us the template. He even told John, suffer it to be so for now. I must fulfill all righteousness. We have to fulfill all righteousness. Now we could, I don't have time to talk about this. It's another study for another day. But a strong, strong metaphor is here where Jesus is going through the water the spirit comes upon him. He's doing what Moses and the Israelites did. He is, he is going through the water into the spirit, and then he immediately goes into the wilderness for 40 days to counteract the 40 years in the wilderness they were there. And, and it's, it's that Ezekiel prophecy, a day for a year. Jesus was undoing the failure of Israel of the Old Testament. That's part of the fulfilling all righteousness. Not only is he showing us how to be born again, but he is undoing the failure of Moses and the Old Testament Israelites as he becomes a better savior, a better redeemer. And he not only leads people out of physical bondage, he leads them out of spiritual bondage. And the three temptations that Jesus overcomes of Satan in that wilderness during that 40 days are the same three places where Moses and the children of Israel fell in the wilderness. Um, tempting the Lord, the golden calves, all of the turn these stones to bread. It all dealt with appetite. It dealt with tempting the Lord and it dealt with making golden calves where first Israel felt second Israel overcame it. That's another study for another day, but Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness is what I'm saying. And the water spirit paradigm is a powerful, powerful illustration. John one starts it. Um, These are the precursors to it. Now, When you come into um, John 3, we come to verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I will say that If you have not received the Holy Ghost, if you have never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've never been born again, you're never going to see this right. Your paradigm is locked. You are locked in a Reformation dynamic, a a Catholic dynamic, um, even a Jewish dynamic. The Bible spoke of of blindness in part happening unto Israel. Here's Paul, uh, Saul at the time, one of the most learned men of the day, And he had to be stricken blind for him to see. And scriptures he had looked at his entire life opened when he was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'll point this out too. The Bible says when Jesus went down into the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost came down on him like a a dove, it says the heavens were open to him. (laughs) You want to open up heaven? You want to get into heaven? You want entrance to be made? Then be born of the water and born of the Spirit. Be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. The captain of our salvation does this, and we do this. And that is Bible faith. When we put our work with our faith, faith wrought with the work, and by work was faith made perfect, then the scripture is fulfilled. Abraham believed God. We believe God. That is Bible faith, not just mental faith dynamics and mental gymnastics and some kind of an inward work that is faith alone and the bible says devils have that not us with abraham and rahab we put our works with our faith and that doesn't contradict romans 4 romans 4 he is talking about how the jews were transitioning into the new testament and the superiority of the new testament romans chapter 2 before 4 ever gets there Um, He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Circumcision is not outward in the flesh, um, but it's inward in the heart, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So he's talking about the advantage of the Jew and then how it's to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And Romans 4, he then goes on to say, we are not justified by works of the law. Circumcision doesn't save us. Uh, Sabbath days don't save us. No works that we do in and of ourselves save us. But that doesn't negate Bible obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's a question, guys. Where does work begin? You know, everybody says you, not, nothing you can do can have any impact on, on what happens in your life. Um, well, when you believe, don't, isn't there some work there? There's a scripture. You know, the Bible talks about a work of faith. That is a Bible term. So when you believe, doesn't a synapse have to fire? Doesn't a a cell have to fire? And don't you have to have some kind of chemical activity on the inside? Isn't that work? Isn't that human effort? It's nonsense to say that there's no effort on our part. There's no obedience on our part. That's how devils operate. Not sons and daughters of God. Certainly not how Abraham operated or Rahab. So he goes on to say, verse 3 except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? Here it is. Jesus answered, verily, verily, that means pay attention. I'm repeating this. I'm highlighting this. I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water, born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's the water spirit paradigm. This is what Jesus had at the river Jordan with John. This is what the Israelites had coming out of the Exodus. This is what Noah had in the beginning uh, with the flood and coming out of the flood. This is what Paul teaches to the church at Rome in Romans chapter six. (laughs) Romans chapter six, we're buried with him in baptism uh, in the likeness of his death. This water spirit paradigm, this baptism in Jesus' name and infilling of the Holy Ghost is in Romans chapter six. So b- Romans four is setting the stage for Romans six. That faith is not reliant upon works of the law, but works of righteousness, working together to com- complete Bible faith, per- perfect faith. What James is what James called it. Now he goes on to say that which is born of the flesh is flesh; that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now here, it gets interesting. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now that word wind there is pneuma. Some people would say pneuma. It's the same root that's in pneumonia and pneumatic. It means wind, air. And it's the spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Now that word sound is phone. It's the same root that is in phone, telephone, cell phone, phonics. It's the etymological root that is found there. So the wind bloweth where it listeth. The the pneuma blows where it wants to. You hear the phonē, the sound. Can't tell, can't not tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Every person that is born of the Spirit, the wind will move upon them and you will hear a sound. That is what happened in Acts two. It is what happened in Acts eight. It is what happened in Acts 10. It is what happened in Acts 19. It is what will happen when you receive the gift of the Holy ghost. It's what happened when Jesus was baptized. He went down into the water. The Holy ghost came down and there was a voice from heaven. that said there was a phone. There was a, a verbal utterance. That said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This, Ladies and gentlemen, this is first John chapter five. There are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. (laughs) There's gonna be a witness. Heaven is gonna bear witness. Heaven bore witness with John and Jesus that day in the river. And heaven will bear witness when you get the Holy Ghost. And a sound comes from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. It'll fill all the house where you're sitting. Cloven tongues like as a fire will sat upon each of you. And you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. You will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. So is everyone, everyone. That is born of the Spirit. Everyone. So everyone goes into the water and into the cloud in Exodus. Everyone gets in the boat and comes out in Noah's Day. And everyone goes through the water and into the spirit today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! I'm just bragging on Jesus. I'm excited about it. I'm not mad. I'm just raising my voice because the old timers saying he's all over me and he's keeping me alive. That's how I feel right now. So, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. There's the wind, the pneuma, and you'll hear the phone. You'll hear the sound. Now, that doesn't make any sense if you're just eisegeting onto this text. If you're fiddling around with this and you're putting some kind of a Calvinist ideology, some kind of a Catholic ideology on, no, this makes any sense to you. But if you look at it through the book of Acts, that is precisely what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, and they heard it. They heard it. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And this sets the stage for Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. This is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. As as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. Remember, believeth. That's not mental ascent. That's not mental gymnastics. That's not just an interior workless faith. Well, how do you know that? Well, keep reading. Get context. Don't let anybody talk you out of this because if they do, they're lying to you. John chapter 7, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast. Now, this is the context of John. Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, not how Calvin said, not how Luther said, not how the first popes said, not how any of the reformers said, not how the Wesley brothers said. But as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, let's look at that. Stop. Hit the pause button. What does that look like? Out of his belly, one place translated it, innermost being, shall flow rivers. Jesus is giving a description of what the Holy Ghost is going to look like. Out of his innermost being is going to flow a river. That is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and a person receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. If you believe, you're supposed to receive that. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him, well, if you believeth on him, more properly, if you believe on Him, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That's what the Bible says. And if that didn't happen, you didn't believe on Him, like the Scripture said. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, this is this is mind boggling. <clears throat> This is where people bring up the thief on the cross. Well, no, you're not baptized. You don't need to receive the Holy Ghost like that because the thief on the cross wasn't saved. My goodness. Sometimes it it, it grieves my heart, the the lack of scriptural awareness that people have. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews. The thief on the cross was not saved under the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. The Holy Ghost was not yet given. Jesus was not yet glorified. This, the, the reason why apostolics focus so intensely on Acts chapter 2 is because that's when the church received power. That's when all the promises came to pass. That's when, that's when they tarried for the promise of the Father. It wasn't given before that. The Holy Ghost was not yet given. Jesus was not yet glorified. The, the river of living water hadn't come out of anybody yet. It was still Old Testament. Old Testament. Jesus was building the New Testament in the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John. So Hebrews chapter 9 talks about this. It talks about that tabernacle, that living tabernacle. It talks about um, a better tabernacle. He purges it by the shedding of his blood. <clears throat> and. We we, here, he describes him being the mediator. Verse 15, Hebrews 9 and verse 15. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, which by means of death for the redemption of transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. The thief on the cross was not saved in the New Testament. All this water spirit stuff that John began to put in place and that was fulfilled in Acts chapter two hadn't happened yet. The framework was being built. But when the thief on the cross came along, he was saved because he had a high priest right there, Jesus. He had a lamb right there, Jesus. He had blood right there. Jesus, and just like those Old Testament dynamics were able to save Old Testament patriarchs, the thief on the cross was saved the same way. No baptism needed. No Holy Ghost needed. It wasn't the New Testament yet. It is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. It isn't until the book of Acts that the Holy Ghost is poured out. That's why the book of Acts is a big deal. That's why Acts chapter two is the paradigm through which we put those glasses on and we interpret the rest of the scripture through that lens. If you try to come in and read it any other way, you are going to misinterpret. And I'm going to give you one of the most startling examples of that. Let's go to Romans. <clears throat> it's it, it's mind boggling people say that there's no example of the book of acts and speaking in tongues and being baptized anywhere in the epistles. That's what they try to say. And they just don't know the Bible is, is the bottom line. Um, and it's why you need to know your Bible because eventually you're going to read this and people are going to read this and they need to know this. And the more you read it, the more you're going to realize that Luther and Calvin were both wrong and the apostles were right. Romans chapter six, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, that is baptism in Jesus' name, were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. And and here's what they'll say. Oh, it didn't say you're going to speak in tongues. Yes, it does. It does. But you have to have a book of Acts paradigm to see it. If you don't, you'll miss it. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not, we're not supposed to have sinners read this and then try to or, or extrapolate information and, and superimpose other ideologies, we're supposed to let the book of Acts be our paradigm. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And this is talking song about the spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. He was weak through the flesh, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So it's talking about the righteousness that comes through Christ. It's talking about the carnal mind being death. You are not in the flesh, verse nine, but in the spirit. So it's talking about the Holy Ghost walking in the Holy Ghost. Keep going. Let's get to verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, and here it is, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. See, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the phone, the sound thereof, so is every one that is born of the spirit. The Bible says, if you're led by the spirit of God, you're a son of God. And you don't receive the spirit of adoption or the bond of bondage rather, but you do receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that is two languages. Abba is an Aramaic word for father. And in Greek there, it is pater, Abba, pater, Abba, Father. It's two languages. Now, why? Why would Paul do that? Because if you come through a book of Acts paradigm, Acts chapter two, it's cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them. That's why Romans chapter eight is a powerful description of what the Holy Ghost looks like. And it's written to people who every one of them received it. I'll show you how denominal thinking distorts this and how the actual scriptural teaching strongly affirms this. Here's what happens. Verse 16, the spirit capital S that means the Holy Spirit beareth witness. How does it bear witness? with our spirit that we are the children of God. It does it when you cry, Abba, Father. Why do you think that when the, the apostles went to Cornelius's house that they knew that Gentiles, Gentiles, the offscouring, the aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, the strangers from the covenant of promise, without hope, without God in the world, those guys how did they know they received the Holy Ghost? The Bible says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And they said, can any man forbid water that these should not uh, be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? They heard them cry, Abba Pater. They heard the spirit bear witness with their spirit. They received the spirit of adoption, just like the Jews did to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's what Romans is saying. And it gets, it gets, it gets more strong and more powerful than that. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. And so this is all about being led by the spirit. This is what it means to be a son of God. So to be born of the water, born of the spirit, son of God, all of this terminology is dealing with John three, five and acts two thirty eight and Romans eight describes it. Now watch this, watch this distortion. Romans 8 sets us up for Romans 10. Now, Romans 10 is one of the most criminal distortions by the denominal world. Paul talks about his heart's desire to God for Israel is that they might be saved. There's no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him? of whom they have not heard. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Ah, let me back up. Let me back up. Yeah. I was trying to find out where I missed it. Okay. <clears throat> Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, when it says believeth, they should all have that river of living water pouring out of them. That's what Jesus said. He that believeth on me as the scripture has said. So whenever you see that believeth in the New Testament, it's that river of living water. This spake he of the spirit. Verse five, for Moses describeth the righteousness, which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So he's contrasting the the works-only law of circumcision, Sabbath days, and the law. Verse six, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, who shall descend into the deep, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart? Thy mouth and in thy heart. I want you to remember that. In thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Remember, believeth on him, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hmm. Now, what the denominal world wants to say is that you're going to believe and you're going to say, Lord, I accept you into my heart. I believe you. Save me, God. I accept your salvation. And they're going to say a sinner's prayer or some, some derivative of something like that. And that sounds great to a lot of people and a lot of sincere people do that. And I'm not criticizing. I'm not knocking that. I'm what I am saying is there's a lot more to it. That is not what they did in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where anybody ever said that prayer, that sinner's prayer come into my heart. I accept you, Lord, as my savior. That never happened in the Bible. Now, you can accept the Lord as your savior and thank God for it. I have done that. But then I was baptized in Jesus name. I repented of my sins, was baptized in Jesus name for the remission of my sins, and I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when I received the Holy Ghost, I spoke with tongues. And that is a Bible evidence and a paradigm of confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart. Now, there's a lot of people that get mad at that right there, but hold your horses and follow me. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Here's why we insist on this. Acts chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. That's the Abba father. That's the, his spirit bears witness with our spirit. They were all filled with the Holy ghost, just like they all came through the water into the cloud. Just like they all had to go in the boat with Noah, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, folks, that is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Oh, no, Brother Urshan, uh, you don't have any evidence. Oh, yes, the Bible's very clear about it. They were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. They were confounded. Every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans. How do we hear them? Every man in our own tongue wherein we're born. Verse 12, they were all amazed, were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? That's the question, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, he lifted up his voice. He said to them, You men of Judea, all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you. Hearken to my words. These are not drunken as ye suppose, but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he quotes Joel, that it will come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And he, and he talks about, it. this is a very well-known portion of scripture. But that's not all he said in answer to what meaneth this. And in the context of Romans 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, What meaneth this, he goes on to verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. He's talking about the resurrection and he says, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. You want the heart tongue connection? Romans 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. David said, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. And that is in response to what meaneth this. As they spoke with other tongues, I am telling you that the confess with your mouth, believe in your heart is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. Peter, James, and John, Mary, the mother of Jesus, all the disciples, all the apostles, everybody at Pentecost did it. So the question is not why do we, it's why aren't you? It's a gift. It's And, and, and here's the truth. Anybody that's ever said you don't have to have it and they fight it and they resist it, you don't have it. Because if you did, you wouldn't you wouldn't resist it and you wouldn't be lying to people. The Bible talks about the lawyers. Woe unto you, lawyers. You withhold the key of knowledge. You haven't entered in. And those that were entering in, you hindered. So for those that would deny the full expression of the Holy Ghost in a person's life, the judgment of God is going to come upon you for that. Hear the word of the Lord and truly confess with your mouth and believe in your heart With a book of Acts paradigm. Not only is it Acts chapter 2, it is Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is one of the most startling examples of this because, because it shows how faith is a process, it shows that faith is not a one off thing, that a person can believe, can be baptized, and still be lost contrary to denominal doctrines. Romans chapter eight, verse four. Therefore, they that were scattered about abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ to them. The people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing, seeing the miracles which he did, unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. Now see that right there fulfills a lot of people's definition of salvation. Unclean spirits, miracles, uh, palsies, lame people healed, great joy. That right there, bam, saved. They believed. The Bible says they believed. The people with one accord gave heed. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. History teaches this was Simon Magus. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the great power of God, and to him they had regard, because a long time he'd bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So hit the pause button. Simon believed. Simon believed. Was he saved? Simon wasn't saved. If you come on down here to verse 20, Peter says to him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness. Pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. But I thought he believed. The Bible says he believed. He believed on Jesus. Now that should be salvation, right? No, no. No, because faith without works is dead. Faith is a process. And he believed he was baptized, but he still wasn't saved because he was not born of the water and he was not born of the spirit. The Holy Ghost had not entered into him. The spirit did not bear witness with his spirit that he was a son of God. He did not receive the spirit of adoption. And we see this, verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. What? So you can have miracles. You can cast out devils with loud voice. You can have great joy. People with palsies and that are lame. Simon can believe, can be baptized, and none of them had received the Holy Ghost. So this shows the distinction between being born of water and spirit. They had been born of water, they had believed, but they had not been born of the spirit. The Holy Ghost had not given them the spirit of adoption yet. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at that phrase. <clears throat> they had been they had repented, they had been buried, they had not been resurrected. They had walked into the sea, but they had not walked into the cloud. They were born of the water, but they were not born of the spirit. It is a tandem. It is a water spirit paradigm. It is a book of Acts paradigm. And without it, you cannot be saved. You cannot come out of Egypt. You can't be baptized into Noah. You can't fulfill the tabernacle plan. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. That doesn't say they spoke with tongues there. It doesn't doesn't give every detail. But whatever happened when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, something happened that made Simon do that. And whenever you have some kind of um, vagueness in the Scripture, you use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. So Acts 2, Acts 10 and 19, they all spoke with tongues. And in Acts 8, something happened that made Simon want to give him money. So using scripture to interpret scripture, we do believe strongly that they received the Holy Ghost just like they did in all those other places. Acts 10, here's another place. And I'm talking about the water spirit paradigm. I'm talking about the Exodus and all these examples that are all through the scripture. And I'm still, I have a ton of places to go here. And this is for everybody that thinks we only have Acts chapter 2. <laughs> this is for everybody that thinks this is not in the epistles. This is for everybody that thinks this isn't in the Old Testament. This is the only way the scripture records it. <clears throat> this is the most organic rendering of the scripture. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is a Gentile, which is a big deal. The Jews had rejected the Gentiles. They, they did not believe that they could have salvation and here they are, God is opening the door to the Gentiles. That's why the Bible says to the Jew first, then to the Greek, Jew first, then to the Gentile. That's what Romans, that's, that's the reason for the phrasing in Romans. Acts chapter 10, he sees a vision, an angel comes. This man was devout, he feared God, according to verse two, with all his house, he gave much alms to the people, he prayed to God always, he saw a vision. Look at this, this is very similar to Acts eight. This, guy, this fulfills the criteria for most people's salvation. But he's not saved he's not saved because he's not born of the water and born of the spirit. The angel tells him verse five now send men to Joppa call for one Simon whose surname is Peter he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do now that's what acts 10 says he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do look what acts, look how he says it in verse 11 um he says the angel came to him in verse 11. Let me find it for you. This is Acts 11. He's recounting this to the, to the council. <clears throat> Give me one moment. Here we go. Acts 11 and verse 14, verse 13. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? Acts 10 says what thou oughtest to do. Acts eleven fourteen says, it gives a little more detail. He will tell thee words by which thou and thy house, all thy house shall be saved. Acts 11, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, How that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, remember that river of living water that they which believe on him should receive? Who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? What was I that I could withstand God? So what is it that they did? What, what's he talking about? Well, verse Chapter 10, he preaches Jesus Christ. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured, the, was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That is confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That is you shall be saved. That is the word of faith, which is nigh thee in thy mouth. Romans 6 says that that would happen, that we would be buried with him in baptism, that we would receive, uh, we would be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 8 says that his spirit would bear witness with our spirit. We would receive the spirit of adoption. And Acts 10 called it the word of faith. It's nigh thee in thy mouth. That is what happened. For they heard them speak with tongues. That is the faunae of John chapter 3. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. This is the water spirit paradigm. Acts chapter 16. This is one that that denominal people love to talk about because it's the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas go to prison. And I know I'm I'm going long here, guys. Uh, Let me. Let me try to wrap this up. I know it's a, I haven't even gotten into the epistles yet. There is a mountain of information in the epistles. We might have to break this up into two sessions or something. I don't know. So here he is. Paul and Silas are in jail. They at midnight, they, they pray, they sing praises. There's a great earthquake foundations. Of the prison are shaken. Uh, the prisoner thinks they've all, the, the, the jailer rather thinks all the prisoners have escaped. Um, Paul, he's going to commit suicide because to have been derelict in duty and allow the prisoners to escape would have been a death sentence. But Paul, verse 28 of Acts 16, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we're all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop. If you think that means mental gymnastics or mental ascent or or a um, just a verbal faith or a spiritual faith, faith without works, which is dead, then you're missing the point because he that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, which they that believe on him should receive. That's what Jesus said would happen. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved, shalt be, future tense, shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And he was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced. You see that? And rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Believing in God meant that the river of living water came forth from him, rejoicing. David said, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced. That's what the Holy Ghost was all about. So if we're going to take Acts 2, 8, 10, uh, 16, 19, and 22, the, the common refrain is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and baptism in water. Acts 19, verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus. So this is the beginning of the Ephesian church. The book of Ephesians, the foundation of it is baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I've been to Ephesus. I've stood in the great library of Ephesus. I preached in the the Colosseum that they have at Ephesus. That's where this was. He comes to Ephesus. He finds certain disciples. He said unto them, "Look look at the first two questions he asks. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, why didn't he ask him if they had just had faith? But he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Has that river of living water come out of you? Has, has that final expression come out of you? Have you received this great gift? Have you been born of the Spirit? They said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And, and ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of very sincere Christians followers of Christ. These, these were disciples. They were seeking after God in my zeal. And in my, my, um, excitement, I I raise my voice. I, I, I do get excited when I start talking about the good things of God. I don't mean to denigrate or to minimize anybody's walk with God. These were good people. Priscilla and Aquila had just taken Apollos and explained the way of God more perfectly. And that's what we want to do. We want to show you the beautiful promises of the Holy Ghost that are available for you. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's Acts 2.39. And, And these people did not have this revelation, so Paul, in his kindness, in his compassion for them, he asks them two of the greatest questions you should ever ask anybody. Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we don't know if there is a Holy Ghost. He said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? Wow. If baptism is is an extra thing and if it's a good thing to get to and um, et cetera, et cetera, then why is he asking this? They've believed. Why is he doing this? Well, the reason is because he's putting in place an Acts two paradigm, a book of Acts paradigm. They said we were baptized unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and they prophesied. All the men were about 12. Again, water and spirit. This is the birth of the Ephesian church. It wasn't just mental ascent. It wasn't just a mind faith. It was a, it was believing as the scripture has said. It was those Old Testament figures shadows. It was the Exodus. It was Noah. It was the tabernacle. It was Ezekiel. Water and spirit. So now we come to Acts 22 and I am working my way to a close here. I'm going to talk about the epistles. Acts chapter 22. And here, He is describing how things happen in his life. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Paul's giving his testimony. And Ananias said this to him, And now why tarriest thou, Paul? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord." And if you read that, that's where he's baptized in the name of Jesus. He washes away his sins. He's calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says he was filled with the spirit of God when it talks about his conversion. It's water and spirit. It's water and spirit. It's water and spirit repeatedly over and over and over again. Now, we've talked about Romans 6. We've already gone there. Um, Galatians. Well, let's, let's let's do Corinthians first. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when you read that, here's what you'll find. There was division in the church. And there were people that were claiming that Paul was going to baptize people in his own name. And this is one of the famous critiques of of people who, people have something negative to say about the New Testament paradigm. Because Paul says here that Christ sent me not to baptize. And they want to jump on that one little phrase and try to justify the whole volume, uh, refute rather, the whole volume of scripture that that shows that that they did baptize and and it is necessary. But the problem is that there's division. And some people were saying, I follow Paul. I follow Peter, which they call Cephas here. I follow Apollos. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 1 and 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul and I of Apollos. I have Cephas, I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? <laughs> well, the answer is no, Christ is not divided. Paul was not crucified for you, Jesus was. And no, they were not baptized in the name of Paul, but the strong inference is whose name were you baptized in? Oh, Jesus. And he said, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. So it's not that I'm not supposed to be baptizing people, it's that I'm thankful that you're not going to um, put such a premium on me doing it because Christ isn't divided and you're looking at this wrong. This is not to negate baptism and there is a wealth of Bible scholars and they're not all apostolic. Many of them are denominal scholars that recognize that this is not a refutation of the necessity of baptism, it is is a refutation of division in the church. Verse 15, he says, why? I thank God that I baptized none of you. Verse 15, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So that doesn't mean we're not supposed to baptize. He is saying, I'm thanking God that I didn't do this so you couldn't be unreasonably attached to me and lose the preeminence of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, verse 9. Let's start there. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves. <laughs> I know some folks that fit this list right here. <laughs> Thank God for His grace. Nor thieves, nor covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There is a host of biblical scholars who recognize that as baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Galatians. Let's go to Galatians. And I got to hurry. I know the hour grows late. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith. In Christ Jesus. So you're the children of God by faith, right? And then he describes how. Verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you're being baptized into Jesus Christ and you are putting on Jesus Christ. So he's talking about baptism into Jesus Christ. That's how you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now it doesn't stop there. Now come with me to Galatians 4. Now this, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from the servant. Verse one, though he's Lord of all, he's under tutors, governors, till the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Watch this, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now this verse right here, Galatians four, is directly tied to Romans eight fourteen to 16. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Pater, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So Paul tells the church at Galatia, you are children of By faith, children of God, by faith in Jesus Christ, for whoever has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. Jesus Christ came, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem you, that you might receive the adoption of sons. That's the same thing as Romans 8, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's speaking in tongues. That's two languages. That's the cloven tongues of Acts 2. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. That's what Romans 8 says. And because you do that, wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. So the the moving from servanthood to sonship is directly correlated to the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. That is confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That's why they knew the Gentiles. What could convince Jews that Gentiles of all things, you know what it took to convince Peter, the sheet to come down multiple times. Not so, Lord, nothing unclean has ever crossed my lips. What I have cleansed that call not thou common or unclean. What would convince them? The Bible says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. This is the spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, wherefore, wherefore means because of that previous sentence, you're no more a servant, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir of God through Christ, that is the water spirit paradigm, Galatians three and four powerfully described here. One more place. There's multiple more places, but I'm out of time. My wife has dinner ready for for me and I'm hungry. (laughs) So One last place, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There is a circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He spoiled principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. That's what happens when you are born of the water and born of the Spirit. That is the circumcision of Christ, what the Bible calls the circumcision made without hands. That means it's of the Spirit. So a doctor, a rabbi can circumcise your flesh. Moses said there would be one that would come that would circumcise your heart. That flesh, the Galatians 5 19 flesh, the works of the flesh are manifest, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, covetousness, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the flesh. Jesus would have a circumcision without hands. It's of the spirit. No man could pierce that deep no man could cut away the heart the sinful heart of a man of, of a woman but the circumcision of christ can buried with him in baptism quickened together with him through the operation of god who raised him from the dead that is water and that is spirit such were some of you but you're washed, you're washed you're justified you're sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 teaches. This is what Colossians 2 teaches. This is what Galatians 3 and 4 teaches. Romans 6 teaches. Acts 2, 8, 10, 19, 16, 22. And a host of other places teach. This is what the Exodus was about. This is what the tabernacle was about. This is what Noah was all about. This is what Ezekiel said would happen. It is the water spirit paradigm. It is the book of Acts paradigm. And it is for us today. I love you. I appreciate you. Go in the grace of God. I'll see you next week. God bless you.